Welcome to Discussing Documentaries. This is the one I've been looking forward to. It is We Are United, the Newcastle United documentary, which could also be called Rick fucking said this would happen three years ago. So I'm going to bring you in right now. I've got uh, Ollie back with me, who, to be honest, is one of the most world-class talkers on football. So I look forward to getting a word in edgeways. I am so excited to go through this. If you're not into football or if you've heard me complain enough about the takeover over the course of discussing documentaries, I completely understand. But there's going to be four episodes of this because I've never been more right about a thing in my fucking life. So welcome to the back of the podcast, Ollie. Hi, everyone. What are you right about? What What is it you're claiming that you're right about? Okay, so it, just a little peek behind the curtains. Discussing documentaries was started for two reasons. One, I like watching true crime documentaries and having a laugh about it. Well, mainly started with yourself on, on long car journeys. We'll get to that. And the second part was is to have a vehicle to push my pro-Saudi Arabian agenda and the Newcastle United takeover. <laughs> okay. and, and if you go back through our library, I was very excited, uh, excited about the takeover until we did uh, an episode called Chicken People. Now, before we did an episode called Chicken People, and that was not a Rick Wharton choice, that was a, <laughs> a very long watch. Before <laughs> that, we did QPR, the four-year plan, where I waxed lyrical about, well, if this is what the QPR people did, what's the richest people on the planet going to do for Newcastle United? Because I've been watching their pie chart. It just shows that, you know, Manchester City have the equivalent uh, financially between myself and Richard Branson. So I got excited about that. We then did Chicken People the day after. We finished recording Chicken People, and I've got 18 notifications saying that the PIF have pulled out of the deal to buy Newcastle United, and I was heartbroken. Mm. Or straight after QPR, then I had to record Chicken People, and I was in a bad mood. One of the two. Perfect. As someone who's heard even more of me complaining about the, the, the Newcastle United takeover not going through over the years, how are you doing, Ollie? Yeah, not too bad. Uh, we might as well talk straight off the bat there. Um, I mean, why is it not called All or Nothing? Do, do you know? Why have they not done All or Nothing? Because it's the same premise, it's the same setup, same production. Why is it We Are United? Uh, it's different because I think it's because it's a four-parter, not a ten-parter. Did Arsenal have a ten-parter? Uh, yeah, because I did think, you know, for those who haven't watched it, it's no spoilers. This first episode jumps hugely, like, isn't it? It's within the first 15 minutes you're at November. of the. Well, let me tell you a peek behind the curtain on that, because if you haven't heard, I've heard updates from the conception of this idea via internet algorithms to it come to fruition. This documentary was meant to be made this year. Oh, okay. So it's made a this year season early. starting today to timestamp it. This is the opening day of the Premier League season, Newcastle Villa, five o'clock tonight. Okay. And it was meant to be this year. They get to January, or not rather January, we had the early break for the Qatar World, World Cup. Cup. Yeah. Which is disgusting human rights. Mm. And 
And since Newcastle were third in the league, because the whole idea was, can they match the ambition of getting to the Champions League this quickly? And they went, uh-huh. fuck, they're going to do it now. And that's why it's only four episodes, because they started in January. That, that makes perfect sense. And that's probably why they've rebranded it a little bit, so people aren't under the impression you're going to get to see the season compartmentalised. And also, um, if you watch the All or Nothing series, I think it's a lot less on the football pitch than than what people were expecting. Yeah. Apologies for the listeners. You're going to get a lot of that from Rick and I, which is just me genuinely asking him questions as to why they've not called it All or Nothing and stuck under that branded. So should we start with what the opening starts with, which is the takeover, the belated takeover? We are going to go slightly deeper than that because the opening scene, it shows the sunrise. I'm going to go, oh, this is this is going to be like, you know, nostalgic. One of the reasons why I moved back to the North East is I felt the takeover was going to go through and I, and I was very excited about <laughs> it. And I was like, yeah, I could move back home. All right, it's good times are coming up. So obviously we'd uh, put a bid in on the house and the takeover fucking collapsed. Glory supporter. Now, I'm not saying me coming home had something to do with <laughs> it, but I, I, I don't know if it happens without that. <laughs> The opening scene, I'm like, oh, this is going to be some great footage. It's going to be Newcastle. We're going to have Geordie's wall to wall. We see the skyline. I was like, oh, yeah, man, that's, that's not Newcastle. That's, oh, that's Rehad, Saudi <laughs> yeah. Arabia. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Rehad, yeah. <laughs> I was trying to work it out. I said the same thing to my fiance. I said, is, is there, that, is there that many skyscrapers in Newcastle? Is it a bit of a hub now? And she went, obviously, it's not Newcastle. I said, well, oh, it must be Saudi Arabia. It doesn't, is it that London? And then it comes up with it. It's Riyadh, Saudi Arabia, straight in. All right. Makes sense. The first person we hear talking, okay, well, the very first person we hear talking, uh, you can't get a better narrator. Spurs for all or nothing. Do you know who they got to uh, narrate that? Uh, Tom Hardy. They did. They got Tom Hardy because their top goal scorer, Harry Kane, can't talk at all. We have Alan Shearer doing the narrating, which again, every there, there is not a note of this that doesn't just invoke a happy memory. Like even the talking from the narrator is just like, look at him there. Shearer's loving it. Yeah. Can, and, and can I just add a bit of objectivity? Because Harry Kane's still playing football and is set to complete a £100 million move, but Alan Shearer, we know, will do any job on TV. So yeah, I can see it. I can see it's about the voice. As opposed to the fact that he's already a media personality and it makes sense for him to narrate it. I actually think that he's just very highly sought after because he's the Premier League's top ever goal scorer. <laughs> and he will remain that way, as we found out And, and would be England's top top ever goal scorer, I believe. Or was it, is he below Lineker? I don't know. Um, I have no idea, actually. Who is England's top goal scorer? It's currently Harry Kane, but Harry Kane got it in the generation of, OK, you play nine more friendlies a year, you have the Euro Conference League. It's very padded out, Harry Kane. I don't like Harry Kane. I'll say that out right, right out loud right now. Do you just not like him as a, a personality, or do you just not like him as a footballer? Uh, I, 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 I don't like him as a footballer because he has no personality. Oh, I see, I see. Uh, and I, I, I do think he's slightly overrated in terms of his ability, being hidden by very good players around him for the majority of his career. Well, we're about to find out, aren't we, next season? Well, well, what in the Bundesliga for Bayern Munich? Yeah, he's really, he's going to have to put that team on his back this Wonder League the last 11 years on the bounce well as you know I, I've changed my opinion in the last couple of years and I think that's because and you know how much I hate the older players uh, and English players in general you know I've got no interest yeah. in that side of football I like the Wonder Kids I like you know what the video games basically bring to us but I, I think he's technically brilliant 
Harry Kane. I don't think he's a traditional striker. I think actually the best part of his game is is number ten. Is yeah, is more his number ten than his passing ability because I think that's absolutely brilliant. But that I've got to be honest has only come around in the last couple of seasons. Not so much to do with what he's done in an England shirt and the likes of. So I agree with you there. I will backtrack slightly because I feel like since you talk shit about Shearer, I got a bit riled up about Harry Kane <laughs> unfairly. <laughs> Um, but I will, did you see Shearer's um, tweet, by the way? No, because you're the only person. You and the rest of the Northeast are the only people following him on social media. I like Alan Shearer plenty fine, and this is not because he rejected United back in the day. But I don't watch Match of the Day or him on TV go and think, he's cracking me up, Shearer. What a brilliant personality. Hilarious. I just think he uh, was a wonderful footballer and he's a good talker on football. But I don't think he's particularly magnetic. But you guys up north, it's anything he does or says is gospel. No, no, I, I wouldn't say that. And I, I would agree he's not the most charismatic, but uh, he doesn't have to be. It's no. a bit like, I'll, I'll give you a good example, right? Uh, first two DVDs of John Bishop. Yeah. Right? Absolutely incredible brilliant and now he's like a spokesperson for liverpool like he is their representative until paul smith came along possibly all right he is that loved he doesn't need to do like he's what he thinks is funny is like the equivalent of a supermodel making people laugh in a bar do you know what i mean like yeah he has got so much grace at the top of the sentence like alan shearer is allowed to sleep with anyone's wife in the in in a 20 mile radius like 50 mile radius of newcastle he's just he is the guy who came he turned down manchester United. he broke the records and he just was the only and or you don't get too often, which we may get to in this, is a good fucking role model as well. Yeah, he is. He is. There was never a thing Shearer did. No, but that's what I mean. I mean, I'd, you said about, before we go off on too much tangent, I think perception, maybe if, you know, Scousers, if we can traditionally call them Liverpoolians, really, I think that changed with John Bishop. I think people of all around England have always had a positive opinion of people from the North East. Like of Newcastle people, like I don't think there's a need for Alan Shearer to be an ambassador because I think of you know, and hopefully lots of people listening would agree with me. Newcastle are kind of everyone's second club in the Premier League. Like everyone wants them to do well. Like even myself, when it's you know, when controversial when it comes to my own club and and us going shoulder to shoulder there, but everyone wills Newcastle to do well. No one, like when City got the money, and you think City were terrible. They were in a much, probably as bad, if not worse, state than Newcastle at the time. It was begrudged. When Chelsea got the money, it was hugely begrudged. And I think what's been nice is, apart from the Premier League, fans have not begrudged Newcastle's ownership and the model and the money coming in. Now, maybe that's because of FFP. They haven't been able to be as flamboyant with their spending. It's lots to see. But I think it's because, actually... Newcastle were just one of these clubs that are just really, really loved in the Premier League. And that's because, as you say, figures like people like Shearer, you know, that love comes from England fans, doesn't it? From everything he did in an England shirt and the likes of. Equally, people don't love Spurs. I would, yeah, yeah. I I would also, yeah, they do not like Spurs. (laughs) I would would attest that, and this has been true of anyone. I, I, I learned this more from moving away. Like when I met you guys at uni, like... Now, when someone mentions Newcastle United to probably like our five or six mates down there, there will be like two or three steps in their mind and go, oh, I lived with someone who supported them. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And you've got that opinion of it. And also, Newcastle, the Geordie, and I'm 
County Durham border and families, Geordie. So mm. even in Newcastle, I I be careful about going. I'm a Geordie. I'm like, what do you mean? Like you didn't even live this side of the fucking bridge. <laughs> so there is a difference yeah. in that. Um, I, I grew up uh, literally five minutes away from where Bobby Robson lived, but that's that counts for him. You got to do a lot to get over the bridge without living over the bridge in the northeast. Yeah. And I would say that um, the Keegan years, the entertainers, they were fun. But to say to everyone's second club, there was literally court injunctions that I had to follow. I was up at two in the morning watching cat cases where the Premier League are trying to argue this deal. And there's a lot skimmed over within this that we will get to this documentary, but yeah. it will be to be a, a, a lot. And you can't see well, United should chat. we start there and and let's talk about uh, because you're you're gonna have to probably remind me and everyone else. So initially they failed. So who was it? It was the Saudi Arabian. Initially, it wasn't the PIF, was it? It was the PIF. Okay. It was. There was always the PIF. It was the Public Investment Fund of Saudi Arabia. Well, who, uh, yeah. Owned... Sorry. Uh, we all all you'll ever hear is PIF now because they doing their own mm. media. Just to be clear, it is the Saudi Arabian Public Investment Fund. That is yeah, the actual, yeah. which I learned that watching the documentary because I was like, I only ever hear PIF, which really just stands for Public Investment Fund. But are we so xenophobic in this country we can't even have Saudi Arabian Public Investment Fund? Or is it a clever ploy by them to just make sure that because as you hear from the snippets from Amanda Snavely's talking. It's the less said about the Middle East involvement, the better it is for them as a club and as a, a business entity on their own. Maybe, maybe. We, we, could, we can go into that yeah. in, trust me, finer detail. So it showed you... 2017, Amanda Stavely, a financier, and she does a lot of Middle Eastern business. She did a lot with the Man City takeover, and I think she had a thing to do with Barclays during the banking collapse and then how that got restructured or something around that level. She comes from Ripon in Yorkshire. Her dad owned Lightwater Valley, the theme park everyone in the Northeast would have went to as a kid on a school trip. They're looking at buying Liverpool. Yeah, well, yeah, That's so, who they were looking to buy. So she talks about that, doesn't she? Because she says, you know, I was in... England looking for a club to buy and you hear that press thing and that snippet of her sitting in St. James's And they, they came to Newcastle, Liverpool away and I remember thinking, and because the flags are a big deal up here in the stadiums, you may notice they've crept in around the country as well since Newcastle's made a big deal of it for the atmosphere mm. but that is done by a charity group that isn't a part of the club called War Flags. Very soon after that Liverpool game, War Flags got banned from the stadium because our previous owner, Mike Ashley, the Sports Direct tycoon that was tanking the club just to make a basically commercial vehicle for Sports Direct, plus he was double-dipping by everything the club bought was from him at an inflated price. I'll come back to why that is fucking hypocritical very soon in this documentary when we've the, given the uh, the sale of Alan St. Maximan for below market value because the Premier League think we're cheating. So... Mike Ashley would do things like he would buy a field yeah. and say Newcastle United need this field to train on. He would then lease that field to Newcastle United on a 100-year contract, inflate the price, and now Newcastle United are still paying a bunch of these costs that Mike Ashley just all set up because he always knew it was eventually going to be sold. But for me, it's quite funny that Amanda Stavely and Murdad went to that Liverpool game because very soon after that, it became very hostile in the stadium towards the owners. Like, those flags were like, fuck off and die, you cockney bastard, and stuff like that before they got banned. So, like, if you're sat there, you're like, oof, don't want to own these guys. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's, like, <laughs> it's very good we had a lively start against Liverpool that game. Yeah, so 
it opens with her. I mean, yeah, I, I think you, you've said it best there. Listen, Mike Ashley's reign or whatever you want to call country, it, it was obviously commercial. He needed to use the club to finance perhaps other businesses and, and it was purely a, a business for him. And I think that's always hard, particularly in this country, because it's tribal. You know, football support is tribal. Mm. And, and therefore, like just even the people listening to you speak then in, in such detail about, you know, that people know about Amanda Staby's father's business. But I couldn't tell you what the Glazers' father's, and I couldn't care. <laughs> Do you see what I mean? But like, that's how tribal and important it is. And, and you referenced the flags. My th- thoughts were, she starts talking about her first experience at St. James's Park. And I and this has got to be controversial with any fans of Newcastle as well. But I I think it's romanticising it. I think she was on a journey looking for a football club to buy in the Premier League. I imagine she checked out a load of clubs because obviously she's buying on behalf of the Saudi Arabian Public Investment Fund. And I felt like it was... And I think she comes across really well. But she was... And I was gripped by the atmosphere and the likes of. And I said to my fiancé, and they're showing snippets of St. James's Park, which we know is a great atmosphere, but... There's a great atmosphere to be had at, I would say, 90% of all, not even just Premier League clubs, but lower league clubs. I think the support that we have in this country for our national sport, as we see it, is immense. Because having been to American football games uh, and seen lots of American basketball games and things like that, the way those fans and supporters cheer on, it's a different level over here. And I guess Newcastle, you know, take it to that umpteen level. But let's be clear, it's the price was more than reasonable. It was a blinding bit of business for a stadium of that size, for a club with that stature and name and reputation. Uh, And kind of beautifully, you might say, in fact, God, Mike actually brought it down to that level. Because would it have been a case of they might have looked at a West Ham United, who we know they were in for? Well, there's there's a a brief that was given out, and this is um, round about 08 or 09 when City got bought out, and it was the Abu Dhabi group. I don't know the name of their business vehicle to do it. Uh, Newcastle's was initially Project Zebra, I believe. But the the brief was, we're looking for a team with got preferably a one-club city that has got the large stadium, and obviously they're going to finance the team. Mm. In it, so when Mike Ashley bought Newcastle, he had Newcastle for like I want to say a year, and then tried to flip it for double the price because the Abu Dhabi group came to Newcastle first. Oh, I see. And Mike Ashley tried to hardball them, and it went fuck it, we'll get another one, and that's when they got Man, Man City because Thakasawa had his assets seized because he was a war criminal in Thailand. That's it. It was the Thai Taiwanese chap, wasn't it? Who owned them at the time? Because they they'd made like Benjamin Joe and a few. I think they, I think he bought company. That might be right. Actually, I think he was yeah. One of the last signings. So the first person you actually see is His Excellency Yasser Al Ramian, and I love this guy. I, I I absolutely adore Yasser, but there is a point of me that has watched The Dissident and thought he may have been a character in that as well. Like it's not beyond the realms of possibility that this man was in the room when something happened. Yeah, I mean. Uh, that's because obviously you've told me about that. I couldn't believe it was the same man because he's quite a charismatic gentleman. But like, no, I don't know if he is. It's Prince MBS is the big villain, but yeah. uh, I know when he was headhunted. Careful of my language on that one. For the by chairman. Prince MBS. Yeah. 
to be chairman of the public investment fund. He had a big job with the other oil company, and I, Prince MBS literally said, "No, you start for me today. I'll double your money, and you're not going back there." Perfect. So, like. He got him in, and he's always been the face of it. But your initial question, sorry, it might have been a while back, is the, the initial takeover was uh, PIF, the Rubin Brothers, and Amanda Staveley. 10%, 10%, 80% uh, in that order. Why was it rejected initially? I mean the initial takeover bid in 20... 20- Here's the issue. It was never rejected. The Premier League said, we have a process, and we do not discuss the process until it's done. Now... They then waited. Now, I want to say it was the start of lockdown, so this was another reason. Everyone's at home and everyone's only talking about this thing. I think, In fact, I think it started around New Year's Eve, those rumblings, yeah. and then through that lockdown, it got really big, the bids in, and the Premier League refused because there was nothing in the Premier League rules to reject this from happening. Owners and directors test is put in place to make sure people don't do what they did to, I want to say, Notts County and pretend they have money, buy a bunch of players and be like, oh, yeah, we don't actually have money. This this club now has to go into insolvency. There is nothing that says an evil dictator can't run a football club because Roman Abramovich fucking has one. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, in terms of human rights, we've got the... I, I, I think there's some in Abu Dhabi. I'm not sure. And uh, I do believe um, everyone's very excited for the mighty Manchester United having Qatari owners, maybe. And their Fingers hands are crossed. hardly clean on that side. So it was mainly the major stakeholders. And you got to think of the climate of the time was a lot of talk of the Super League. The Super League was around but this no, time. But no, because I remember the Premier League did come out and actively, whether they rejected it or actively opposed it, there's a reason it took two years following. That's the point, isn't it? No, they dra- they, they, they were intentionally dragging it through and hoping it would be dropped. Yeah. They never rejected it because if they rejected, then they can be taken to court and it was illegal to reject. So if you just hold it up, hold it up, hold it up, hopefully they'll move on. And the reason why they wanted them to move on is the major shareholders in the Premier League, if you think of your top assets, is the top six clubs, the big cartel, the ones who want to go to a Super League, and they have like want more voting power on what happens, they want more money in terms of uh, this, that, and the other. Those clubs cannot handle falling out of the Champions League because of the way they're run. They will go bust if there's another superpower. And if you think what happened with Man City and the Premier League, a good documentary we watch is The Untold Truth, which is the basketball one about how it's kind of referees are rigged at big market teams is the is the language. Big market teams such as the Boston Celtics, the LA Lakers, the teams people heard of, they don't want the Kings in the final because only the fans of those two teams will tune in to watch it. But if it's a Manchester United game or a Chelsea game, they have global audiences. That's more eyeballs, more television revenue. The Premier League is itself as business, so it protects. They were apparently very annoyed that Leicester won the league. All fans loved it. It was the fairy tale that it never happened before. But the idea that they watched it, no one really in, say, China gives a fuck about Leicester. If Man United's playing, they get over like 500 million more views on a match, which is their advertising, their bottom line, their shareholders, their investors. Yeah, I mean, listen, you and I dis- disagree a bit on this because any- if anything, they know Newcastle. My-, my position would be they know Newcastle are going to rise to be another superpower. You know, the-, the reason the Premier League is branded as the-, the best league in the world is it's the most competitive league in the world. And so you reference a top six, you know, and if we go back 10 years, we were only talking about three, three teams, weren't we, really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. United, Liverpool, Arsenal, and I would say that you know the late nineties, early two thousands, it was United, Arsenal, then Chelsea, 
Uh, Newcastle had obviously faded away. Liverpool had faded away. They'd come back. And I think what benefits the Premier League, both from a business and commercial point of view, is having the best players in all of the teams and adding more to that party. And, and we all enjoy it as fans. Obviously, we want our team to be up. And that's why they're successful. That's why people, the La Liga, can't do what they do in revenue because because Barca and Madrid are a superpower. Barca and Madrid genuinely, we know, have uh, take home over 60%. I'm sure the La Liga have worked to reduce this in the last two years. They take home nearly 60% of total revenue. And the remaining 14, 40% is split across 18 teams. You know, we don't have that in the Premier League. The bottom club get 100 million quid off that TV revenue. And I would say, so that's where you and I disagree. But I always say to you, it's part of this kind of northeast, the conspiracy theory uh, kind of angle. Because I'm like, actually, I think most support Newcastle. I, it became a human rights issue. Now, can I just ask one thing? No, it didn't. Let me tell you exactly what it became. One of the big money revenues to the Premier League is exporting the product abroad. Yeah. Yeah. One of the biggest financial broadcasters that they export to is called B in Sports. B in Sports, yeah. Yeah. Now, Saudi Arabia had been just hijacking their feed and putting it on their TV for free and called it B out Sports. They were just so brazen. And since you can't do anything, you can't go into their country and make laws up, they just stole it for about... 10 years no yeah copyright copyright has always been a, a big issue globally mate because obviously copyright is dependent on the country that's how the internet's made it a wild west in terms of television broadcasting yeah but but the television broadcasting is like we may get a link to the peacock network in america that doesn't have the 3 p.m blackout rule mm. but they are not stealing it from the premier league yeah like this this yeah. isn't this is actively they're not paying government. Anything, yeah and when they there's some hilarious things about it like that for instance when the when they were reached out for a comment on that the saudi arabia said they actually emailed the wrong email address and we just never saw that for 10 years that we were doing something wrong yeah so in october 2021 uh, so around about the second so we were due for a sports arbitration case in the January, which we were nervous because it was like January 15th. So like, so that these people come in, then they can spend money and save us. Why was there a sports arbitration case if it never because been rejected? Because they took them to court for that. Okay. Because they wanted to know why it wasn't done. Because then they had a time scale going, you've never spent this amount of time on a takeover before. All, all this kind of stuff. Mm. And you've got to remember, the people with the most money in the world have the best lawyers in the world. And that man's name is Nick DeMarco QC. Lives in Brighton. Big fan of cooking bread. And I love him to death. Still follow him on Twitter. I follow the fucking lawyers on this. I remember... Rick sending me pictures uh, like this, Nick DeMarco, because uh, he does bake bread. This was during the lockdown, wasn't it, actually? Or it yeah. might have been the second lockdown by this point. And the belief that he was leaving messages for fans. And some yeah. of it, to be fair, when Rick used to send me the it pictures. Matched up. It matched It did marry up, but I'm like, I don't know if he is. I don't know if he isn't. But I just like the idea that a loaf of bread is being baked to send messages privately to you know, millions and millions support base just to give them an update on how that trial may or may not be going. But So the picture was, and I might try and find it and post it, it was a loaf of bread, right? And it was cut out. 80% of it was whole. And then there were two slices. Mm. So 80%, 10%, 10% root for Ruben and Stavely, 80% for the piff. A bottle of champagne for success. And I think there was like a bottle of brown ale next to it as well. Like, and it was like, the takeover's going through. DeMarco's letting us know. But the big... 
the big trigger was because we'd all become jaded and I've mentioned this on the podcast before I got given a bottle of brown ale for Christmas a few years back I don't drink anymore so I said I'll have it the day the takeover goes through and it was like oh we'll get a room of the takeovers going through I'll put the brown ale in the fridge and that's like the doomsday clock is five to midnight and it was always a sad moment when I'd have to take the brown ale out of the fridge I don't want the listeners to think that Rick had a drinking problem the way he's just phrased that went I don't drink anymore Rick just doesn't like drinking, like myself. So I do want you to think, oh, he's had his own battles. No, he certainly hasn't. He never, you were never a massive fan of drinking, were you, actually? First year uni kind of did it for me. We started yeah. early, so I got bored quicker. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think, yeah, you you always talk about you started earlier up in the northeast, didn't you, drinking? And so, yeah. Yeah, I was, I was a hairy child. I guess served at like 12. Yeah. So that that was the big thing. Yeah. Rick never had a drinking problem. Just to be clear, it was choice. He, he wanted to give up just because he couldn't be bothered. Yeah, And I was acting like, I, I, I was getting, I mean, our, our buddy got ill, so he didn't drink anymore. Mm. And then once that tolerance is gone, I went on a stag doing a killed us. Mm. Like, I mean, and. People have been drinking since the age of 12 and I haven't had a drink in a year and to try and even keep up with them. I was just a liability. I'm lucky I came home alive. Like, <laughs> So the big deal was, right, so the big room, so I am so ingratiated. My algorithms are still locked on to the Newcastle takeover. So like, if I look at the phone, if I've got a text of a fucking picture of a family member, I'll hear about fucking what's going on in rehab first. So I was like signed up to the House of Sard Royal Family fucking newsletter. Yeah. So that if they mentioned Newcastle United, I would get that in my feed and this is going on. So one of the big cases were they settled, the Saudi Arabians settled with BN Sports and paid them one billion pounds in unpaid uh, TV fees. Yeah, that I remember that was a big thing. Well, because two days later, the takeover went through. Yeah. Because <laughs> you cannot say that those two aren't... Yeah, yeah. no, I, that's where I completely agree with you. I, I, and I think it was quite clear at the time that actually it was more about the copyright, that they weren't happy that they were going to let an entity into the league. And actually, the, the people were paying billions... Amazon now, but BT and Sky are not not going to be mm. loving it either, are they? You know that they're being yeah. ha- handing huge amounts of money over for television rights, and now somebody who's basically hijacked but their own. Also, go on. from a public relations point of view, the Premier League can't come out and go. Ah, yeah, listen, there is a problem with the takeover, but we're kind of cool with that guy killing the journalist. It's more about they didn't pay us some money over the years. Yeah, yeah they're never, never going to say that, yeah. So it became about... Now, can I just ask a really sort of straightforward question, which I, I think I thought it was the case. I thought from the original setup in 2019, it was because Prince uh, MBS, as you all uh, refer to him, he was mm-hmm. the out-and-out CEO, owner of this hedge fund, this pit, whatever set up. And I thought by 2021, there'd been a reshuffling of debt so that his excellency, whoever he's put in charge, he, who's the director of the club, that actually Prince MBS is just a little bit further removed from it. Am I right in thinking that's the case? You would think so. Yeah. <laughs> no. So what they needed is what they always... The, 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 the phrase they use is a separation between the Saudi state and the public investment fund, mm. right? 
So again, like I said, it was never about the human rights and yeah. never about what they allegedly did to Jamal Khashoggi. Because if you've seen the distance, there was people trialed and convicted of that crime that had nothing to do with the um, the royal family. They just arrived on his royal jet and left with his diplomatic immunity back to um, thing. And he was still on FaceTime at the time. Oh. What it is is, um, so Prince MBS, make no mistake, is on the board and if not the de facto head honcho of the public investment fund. Oh, I make I make no mistake about that. I, I just wonder what changed with the Premier League for them to be appeased by it because it's still a hilarious They, they paid... They paid the billion pounds in TV revenue is exactly what it was because they needed they said they needed written assurances uh, like legal assurances from Saudi Arabia that the state is not controlling Newcastle. That was it. And that's what the documentary says, because they mention it twice, don't they? Uh, And they're using the narration of the broadcast to say that the the Premier League have been satisfied. And but we we never really know what that was, that the Saudi state. I do. What was it? They they had written assurances from the courts of Saudi Arabia that there is no state involvement from Prince MBS, who's the head of the state, and Prince MBS, who is head of the public investment fund. Those two things are completely separate. Uh, it's, now it's embarrassing. What's, what's, the, mis- what's the misnomer? What the misnomer is is Prince MBS even knows Newcastle United's name, okay? Because the public investment fund own everything. They own about 40% of American properties. They own Formula One, pretty much. They've got the box, and they now took over golf this year. Yeah. They have the cruise ships. They have a lot in tourism because the dinosaur blood is running out, and they're investing this money now to take up the Monopoly board when we're not on fucking fossil fuels. Yeah. This is that, that is the move. That's the 2030 vision plan. And the Qataris and all of it. And we know that. And that's true, isn't it? Because we know that from all of the Middle Eastern entities that the belief is, I think what's been controversial is Saudis, Pith included, is now developing their own football leagues. I think that's, like you say, is to own that Monopoly board when not necessarily the fossil fuels run dry, but so that if it moves to a point where that oil is not as valuable as it once was, that actually they're making the same amount of money as they were before. And that's, like you say, why yeah. the public investment they're, fund they're, is they're, set they're up. They're investing now and, and, in and, and going big that way. Like Disney, I think they, they they own a majority stake in Disney. I remember when it was all kind of boycott Saudi Arabia, there was literally too many things to boycott it. Yeah. It would have been impossible. It would have been like, if you ever seen the sitcom The Good Place? And it's just like, you go yeah. to hell because you've used an iPhone. Like, because that was made in a factory by children. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Then you get caught in whataboutism. And to be honest, like, these guys, they're going to buy someone. And I've always been 100% on board with the takeover. And this documentary is why. Yeah, I mean, and, and, and listen, you know, people want to talk about the human rights issue. And I, I think it's it's a great discussion. But I think when you start... I think you just referenced it there with what about is, but it, it but it does become that debate because if the Premier League are going to forcefully say no because of human rights, well then they've got to look at the ownership of every single club because we're talking about maybe that's a bit more glaring and obvious as we see it in Saudi Arabia, but we are talking about 
you know, if we look at the Liverpool owners and their businesses and the sweatshops that are used there, there is many human rights issues. And I don't think we can just shine the spotlight on one has to be a more. Mike Ashley had sweatshops and he literally got taken to court because he was one of the ones who didn't enforce the zero hour contracts ethically. So it was technically slave labor. Mm. And and that was absolutely fine. <laughs> and zero hour contracts are still a thing that exists. Yeah, even here. Oh, yeah. They're, they're brutal. And Abramovich, like he bought the club so that he was a public figure that couldn't be assassinated by Putin and just have his wealth taken off him. And we saw and we saw how that little cookie crumbled uh, last year in regards to Abramovich and, and the forced selling of the Chelsea Football Club as well. So it does make a sticky thing. I think the Premier League themselves are in a sticky position. You know, they've not chosen to, but they've ended up going to bed with lots of people who, you know, have lots and lots of money as a result of unethical or what the public might see as unethical decision-making or unethical ways of working. So, yeah, I, I agree. I think a lot was made about the Saudi thing. I just felt like the Premier League were going to end up hypocritical if they didn't allow it to go through things. What cracked me up is when they showed on the documentary, wasn't it, the pie chart. And you just see the pie chart, and they're like, oh, yeah, like, the Ruben brothers are in it, and then Stavely's in it, and you're like, and 80% is the Saudi Arabian Public Investment Fund. So let's be clear on... Who is the controlling a majority share owner? And I think um, when we get onto the Anthony Gordon purchase, that that became really, really apparent, I thought. Yeah. We don't see the, the conversations, but it was quite clear. I This is what I'm going to think really enjoy about this documentary, right, is the day-to-day, because we meet Amanda, and she gives a story about going to Liverpool. We meet Yasser, and how Amanda brought her to her. And then the next thing they do is they go to Anik Castle to meet Yasser because the Saudi Arabians, they step back a lot. They're investors, and what they do is take pride in getting the very best in class to run their businesses. They're methodical, strategic, and very well thought out. This isn't mad men throwing money around. No. This is the $1 trillion fund of fucking Saudi Arabia, and I imagine losing that money, the consequences are a bit more than the redundancy. So they don't fuck around. This is a bottom line. They are increasing the value of the club. But to meet Yasser, he comes over, and it sounds like it's not every time. Like he doesn't come over a whole heap. Do you know what I mean? I don't see Yasser at a lot of the matches. He's there more than the Abu Dhabis of Man City. But... When he comes over to discuss strategy, they don't go to St. James's Park. They don't go to Long Benton Training Ground. They go to Anik Castle, which I just love that they have to go to a castle to have His Excellency come on over. <laughs> and it shows you them, and they're playing like table football. There's 2v Yasser, and you know they're letting Yasser win. Mm. There's no way Yasser's getting beat at that. <laughs> no, Brainer, why would they? Um, I love how... Um... You know, when they show the footage of him out in warm weather trading during the World Cup. And they're like, well, is he six? It's a lot of people. He said, everyone. And he said, well, it's like 100 people. And he said, well, he said, everyone. So, and everyone's going. And then you just see all these lads as well, God bless them. Fish out of water screams to mind in those kind of things. And I was thinking, I imagine there was a huge briefing that went down to those players about their behaviour. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Because I'm sure during warm weather training they'll, they'll get permission once in a while to go out and have a few drinks. But it was to be clear, you can have a drink, you're not having multiple drinks, do not talk loudly, do not muck around. And I'm sure that behaviour was impeccable during their presence at his, uh, his home. 
and his state. I would like to think they have to be like that around Eddie Howe anyway. I do not believe that you go to Eddie Howe with fucking two bottles of Corona in each hand and be like, how are you doing, Eddie? You are getting ran off the fucking park next day in training. He is not He is not putting up with that shit. But yeah, that's a brilliant moment when they're out in rehab. Because they're literally on the phone to Amanda. And he goes, uh, Yasser's invited everyone. goes, but that's too many people. That's 100 people. He goes, oh, it's fine. And, and KJ made a great point. She went, that house doesn't look crowded. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We only see one thing, but I just saw a couple of like Yuffie players just listening very intently to the words that were being said, thinking, oh yeah, look like they've never listened harder yeah. in their lives, these boys. Yeah, Lewis Miley can't believe where he currently is. He was trying to get out of his contract, maybe. What's the Longstaff brother called? Matty Longstaff Matt, yeah. is sat there. Got, he's, he's trying to force a, move, a loan move to fucking Mansfield. He's now in Riyadh in the second most expensive house on the planet. Yeah, crazy. So they do, and they have got some good footage explaining that there's a literally a graph to what you spend on wages to where you finish in the Premier League. And then they do point out the other thing you've already delivered on, and that's getting Eddie Howe, which I enjoyed that because Eddie deserves credit, and they do go through how they survived relegation. Yeah, I just want to make a quick point on this. So they're talking about how we keep losing. Now, this documentary signposts things that happened in my life because we watched me and I got KJ into it. Uh, she really got into football literally around the takeover. I said, I'm going to watch every game. Why don't you watch it with us, see if you get into it? And she really... There was a moment in the first season when I knew she was a Newcastle fan. Because she was watching it because she's very, I don't know, what would be the word? A hell of a lot nicer and more patient than what myself and you are. Where if there's something we don't like, we probably couldn't watch it without sneering or explaining why we shouldn't be watching this. Yeah. She was watching the game. She was getting into it. But it was always kind of like she's very particular on the rules being followed of football. Like, oh, was that not a throw into them? The ball's gone. Forget about it. Like, oh, that, I, how's that their goal kick? Well, they you know they check it. Don't worry about it. And then there was, a, and if there was a foul, it's like, no, that was no, that was a foul. Yeah. There was a moment we were playing West Ham away, and Jared Bones going down the wing. He's already been flagged offside. Right. Dan Byrne fucking murders him. I mean, Dan Byrne puts him eight feet in the air, goes through him two feet. It was after the whistle, so he didn't get a card. KJ laughed the most I've heard her laugh in six months. Like to, to see the Jared Bone get crocked by Dan Byrne and she's laughing at us like, oh, we've got her. It's more important to her now that Newcastle win than everyone have a nice time and play by the rules. <laughs> she's now <laughs> fully ingratiated. But the Norwich game, it shows you that is the time I got COVID for going to the cinemas to see The Eternals. <laughs> The Eternals? What was that? That was a Disney movie, a Marvel movie. I went to go and see The Eternals. Oh, I know, with Angelina Jolie. Yeah, yeah, I remember it. Saw it. God, that went that went quickly. That film, didn't it? No, it did not. No, I mean, it's in. It's been and gone. Like people. Oh yeah, yeah. It's a that, that should have been a that should have been a Netflix series for me. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it just it's been it... and gone. It's straight out the door, wasn't it? Like people like I've just yeah. gone. Can't even remember it. Oh yeah, I saw it. Yeah, and that was a massive movie. A massive cast, crazy that. All right, so we're in a point of we've got a ninety percent chance of relegation going into January, and Yasser has got the quote going. We have to act fast, like we didn't fucking know that. Like when the takeover went through, it's not like we didn't have a countdown clock to the transfer window to see what was going to happen. Now the first signing uh, is Kieran Trippier. Yeah, now it's an excellent signing, and he is an off the field coach as well. I remember seeing him in the Euros and thinking, if we ever get that takeover, I'd love to have him because he was managing more than Southgate in that um, the semis we lost or finals that we lost that time. And 
they miss out a name when they're going, and Newcastle made some smart moves. And that, man, I'd like the idea that they called Rehad and went, get me Chris Wood. <laughs> yeah. Who did they sign as well? This... They got Trips, Bruno, Chris Wood. They got Matt Target, Dan Byrne on deadline day. That was right. Yeah. Okay. I just need to remember because obviously they only reference Trippier and Bruno Kimmerich, don't they, in the documentary, really? Which I thought Dan Byrne deserved the mention. I hope he comes into it a bit more. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm sure he, he is. You see him in some snippets, don't you? When he's added over the Man of the Match prize to Sean Longstaff. Yeah, they, they picked Longstaff as the local player. Yeah. And then that's that season over. They, they We won 10 out of 14. They finished mid-table pretty incredible turnaround my my criticism of this is a documentary sort of and it, and it is too formulaic now is as soon as they bring in sean longstaff now obviously we, we know what's happened but they bring in sean longstaff for the second part of that episode local boy we we, we know this narrative where they've they've always got one of these you know calvin phillips did on the leads one and it's quite obvious when we're building up to this one game that they've shot all the way ahead of which must have taken place in february time or something like that so we've jumped almost from what feels like january because they started then but well no it's because what i said about the, the documentary yeah yeah but the documentary they're like shit newcastle's in the semi-final they might win a trophy and we don't yeah. catch it also they're third in the league they might get champions league and then there's no point doing yeah. the fucking big ambitious documentary so that's when they're actually boots on the ground with cameras following them around yeah well the rest is all footage from the club's media department i believe it feels like it was more from november when they realized they were in that top four picture and went straight out to riyadh to do but the they weren't work. about in november well, they they have all that footage from them being over. We just talked about it. Him visiting yeah. his excellency. But Newcastle have a media team that follow them, getting clips and content the whole time as well. So I think they use a lot of that. Oh, okay. I don't know when it exactly starts, but I knew they had to jump start it when we beat. I want to say Leicester in the quarters. Yeah, it would be interesting to know because I think it's it's from them. I think it's that warm weather training. They show you the table of the second season and then they backtrack to just cover that in a very quick 10, 15 minutes from yeah. the you know the season where they essentially just narrowly avoided relegation. And most of that's covered by talking heads, isn't it, with Amanda and the likes of. So if they do that kind of local boy and it, it kind of that hero story. And I just wonder in all these documentaries, is that a little bit played out? You know, because we know that actually, yeah, it, Sean's very much come back into the fray, but Matty hasn't. Um, and I, listen, they're always going to keep one of these players, aren't they, in terms of local ties with the community. This Lewis... You've got five of them at the minute in the squad. Lewis Miley, Elliot Anderson, and, and these likes of. So we, we know that's going to be done. But I just wonder in these documentaries, we always get that kind of angle, don't we? We always get an episode like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I just wonder, if, because you've already seen the season, I just wonder if they could avoid that. I think it's easy when they start no, doing an episode I... on Bruno Guimaraes because he's got so many highlights, so many games and the likes of. I imagine because, again, this is now talking, we're in January is when the real meat of the day-to-day comes in. It's not catching you up anymore. We're in January. Though mm. uh, no, they skip over Isaac coming. Yeah, they do. I imagine they're going to cover that. Because he got injured straight away. And then it's also, weirdly enough, a year since I was at your house. I was down for the Forest game, not being back since. And, and yeah, what t- today it is. Yeah, yeah, one year today. Um, that's 
Cough. or Premier League schedule wise because they've switched around for the World Cup. But it's and the first game of the season. I was at yours for. And was Isak signed by that point? No, he signed after the Man City game when Callum Wilson got injured. So about three more in. So don't be too surprised if a, a sixty million pound defender rocks up at St James's Park before the deadline day. Because every window we make a big signing towards the end because the prices came down. Yeah, I mean that's what a bit, I was impressed. That those are the two bits that I was most Im- impressed about. Is that it's made me reflect more on, and even the things that Eddie's saying in public. You know how much they're keen to control that narrative, so that they're not having to pay this kind of Newcastle tax on certain. You Couldn't know, agree more. at the minute, and it became clear, didn't it, during that Anthony Gordon sale that. You know, she was going to have that conversation, Amanda, but she wasn't confident. And they went back and basically it was as good as, good as the same deal with five million in adults. How fascinating. I mean, I mean, it was fascinating to me, but Amanda seems flustered. Uh, flustered. We bought, by the way, one of the key figures we got in, he skipped over in the documentary is Dan Ashworth. He's the director yeah. of football yeah. that we took from Brighton, and he also was the director of football for England. He's like a apparently the the best in class at what he does. Yeah. But you can tell Amanda is like worried about telling Dan Ashworth about the fee limitations that they have to get Gordon. Do you know what I mean? She seems please let me try. I'm sorry. We love you. Da, da, da. And like the the tone, I think, especially of Eddie, because they're saying Eddie really wants this player, and I think that's due to the first winter window. Eddie came in and acted as director of football, so he has that relationship with them and all the uh, the credit in the bank for how well he's done and how much faith they have. Yeah, in him. and it was in- interesting that Eddie himself had spoken to His Excellency as well. They said about that Anthony Gordon purchase and how keen he was on that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and that's just fascinating. I I, I love that element of this documentary. So I think it's one of the things that I- I'm enjoying most of seeing. What's the and I'm going to be really crude here. What's the tubby ball guy? What's his thing? He's talking about, you know, it's no surprise. And he shows that well obvious graph of people's positions versus player wages. That is Darren Eales. I want to see if he was Spurs or Arsenal as a COO. He then went out to Atlanta FC and created that club, that huge stadium they've got. Uh, Miguel Mir, we bought Miguel Miron from, but yeah, he went out United. and he yeah, made. Yeah. Atlanta's franchise. He did everything with it, so he's there with the like to create the revenue streams. Perfect. As part of the board, that that's Darren Eels there, and he like he goes and fucking drinks in the bars and stuff with the players. You get yeah, with the fans. He he does a lot about, and uh, I like Darren Eels a lot. But what I'm saying is, is if that wasn't Eddie Howe's the manager, I get the feeling they're told you've got forty million to spend. Do you know? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, yeah. I I I think. And that's why I've been, and I think any football fan, and, and hopefully we'll see more of this in the coming episodes, is structurally, I mean, how astute the Saudis are from a business point of view. Like, like you said, I mean, I mean, I don't think it's verbalised too well, but the point is, they, like, I think you verbalised it better, actually. You said they get the best in class in the right positions and people who are going to organically work together. And actually, Amanda Stavely, out of that first episode, has come across as a, actually is quite a warming person and brings a warming nature to, to that kind of atmosphere and will go in quickly say you know a couple of nice words to the players and I, I always really like that kind of stuff you know because I understand they've got to keep a professional distance from people they might be letting go very quickly but actually it's important to get that get that element right if you want to win things consistently at the top level you know breeding that kind of family 
mentality. Now, Darren Ailes talks about, and they, they talk about bringing Eddie in. And I, I said, it was the first thing, and it was like, and you know, the best thing. And, and all the Anna Castle. What was it? They said, and yeah, and this, you know, the next. Oh, there's two things you need to deliver on, and that's uh, the wages. And, and they said, what's, and he goes, what's the other thing? The other thing you've already delivered in, you've brought in Eddie Howe. Brought in Eddie Howe. Because he. Im- he improves players, which he has phenomenally. Like I, there were players when it was that first game against Spurs, yeah, and everyone's all happy. I remember seeing Joel Linton had a haircut. Now, where I didn't know what you get. Uh, me and KJ laughed. I went, I didn't know what you get a haircut for, mate. You're first out the fucking door, mm. and now he's became possibly one of the best midfielders in Europe. Yeah, uh, statistically, he's the the, the it, it's an unbelievable turnaround in Almiron. In Fabian Shaw wasn't getting a game. For Steve Bruce, when we were getting relegated, he wasn't getting in the team. Now he was in the Premier League team that conceded the least amount of goals. Miguel Miron, 14 goals, hadn't scored before that. Like the the improvement in the players has been the most exciting thing. We thought it would be a transfers, but yeah, that's been a bit slower and steadier. I would have liked to, um, in the documentary to talk because for me, that was very much the stars aligning and that's really the only nod to it that you know that by chance Eddie Howe was available he, he I think he'd taken a sabbatical from the game and everyone knows how sort of intelligent he is and well respected within the game like you said he's going to add values to players because he is a coach uh, and what we've seen now that he, he's grown in confidence himself again because obviously there were those question marks after and I thought that was actually a bit of an ignorant comment when and actually kind of relegation is excellent well now he knows not what to do well no it doesn't work like that because this is a different business one second there, i'll backtrack and say what the question was because obviously the people listening might not i just knew what it was so they asked him how do you feel that he got bournemouth relegated yeah what were your yeah or something concerns about that yeah and uh and then, so, he asked his and, then and then yeah his excellency turns around and says well yeah, because the, he almost makes it sound like, but he does it in a really unconvincing manner. And I always find people like this in life where they'll say something with complete and utter confidence, but you're quite aware that that's not the right answer, nor was it, and nor were you confident in that answer. So his answer, and he went, well, now he knows exactly not what to do, which actually comes across sort of a, a bit of a ruthless comment hidden by a smile, I thought, which was quite interesting at the point. But I hope, because they were probably expecting to go down, and I think... I don't think they were. Really? I mean, no. Amanda Stabley says it, didn't he? Which obviously is not a figure pulled out of thin air. At some point, they were like, it was a 96 percentile possibility we were down. We had 4% chance of safety because of... Statistically, between... Teams that are in that position mm. and the point. amount of games left yeah. at this point of the season, That's right, the that is the percentage of people who have gone down. Now, the X factor is they don't go out and spend $150 million. Now, not only is it $150 million, because that will get you a certain class of player, and those play- people we were linked with for a long amount of time, like you see your Jesse Lingards, your uh, Aaron Ramseys, those are the mercenaries you might be able to bring in. We were getting... Prem-proven, quality players from players higher in the league than us 
because they've seen what Man City have done, they've seen what Chelsea have done, they fucking understand Newcastle are a train to get on. Do you know what yeah. I mean? You can sell that project. Yeah. So you get Bruno Gomez, who was lined up for Arsenal or Juventus, and we nipped in and got him six months earlier when they weren't financially ready to make that package yet. Yeah. You got Kieran Trippier. Thank Christ. I mean, you meet Kieran Trippier and his family. I want to send his missus a fucking bouquet of flowers that she didn't like living in Madrid because now we have the best captain we've had since Alan Shearer. Like, just things aligned. Eddie Howe coached Kieran Trippier. When Eddie Howe was on a sabbatical from football, he went round and tried to better himself as a coach. And he went to Atletico Madrid to learn from Diego Simeone, sat in on a couple of lessons. He's got a bond with Trips. And Trips says, if you're ever managing an English club, particularly in the north, I'm looking to come back. So they fucking got straight on the phone to him. And that is, again, just a different class. And, and the funny thing is, Trippier got injured a month into being there and he missed the whole season. So we did it without him, but a great signing, nevertheless. Yeah, and 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 that's what I mean about Eddie Howe. And, and I know he spent time in Italy, you know, as lots of coaches do. You know, he, he, he really does his homework. And so I think that's that's what I mean about the stars aligning. He just happened to be out of work, so he was in easier acquisition. It was, he was coming in, he was coming into a club in, in complete whole fire you know, in complete sort of dismay. So whilst they had this amount of money is that actually looked like they were certain for relegation. So the expectations on him making safety were actually maybe not behind the scenes, as you were saying, those Saudis expected them to be kept up and were probably going to be quite ruthless about it, the ownership model. But actually, I think in, in, in front of house, in terms of the public perception, there was no judgment. There was no pressure there. And I'm sure from Newcastle yeah, yeah. fans, wouldn't you agree that actually it would have been because of the the amount of points, statistically speaking, the chance he had to make it. And obviously, whilst and and that's what I mean about it being written in the stars. You know what? Like we had it with the Leicester City story. What team narrowly avoids relegation then makes top four the next season? We we had a similar win ratio as Leicester. To, to Leicester's escape, we had the similar win ratio. We're the only team to have ended up there when they were in that relegation fee. But there's two two little points on that. So Eddie Howe wasn't the first choice. Who was? It was Uriah uh, Emery. He came in for the interview. Howe says, "Oh, Emery's in for it. He's got it." Basically, I don't think Villarreal were happy. I, it leaks. Newcastle learned a lot of lessons about leaks very early on because they had to get rid of the people filtering information out. So it leaked out that Emery was getting the job. They put pressure on Emery before like Champions League games. He's like, look, I'm staying. Okay, I can't do this. I can't manage Champions League matches while saying I'm about to join Newcastle United. Mm. And what Dan Ashworth does is, I don't know, you've, you've seen your Game of Thrones? Yeah. He does a Tyrion Lannister. He turns around and he goes to five different people. We're buying Jesse Lingard, we're buying Aaron Ramsey, we're buying Edmund Tapsoba, we're buying Bruno Gamerish, not Bruno, but, you know, as an example. And the one that leaks to the paper, he knows where that initially came from, and they just shut up shop, mate. You don't hear about a Newcastle signing until Dan Ashworth is in Milan and he's eating fucking fettuccine with Sandro Tonali's agent. Yeah, and and, and that Dan Ashworth, I mean, I'm hoping we could have, because obviously you've spoken privately a lot about him, we know a lot about him. It'd be interesting to see if we get to see a little bit more insight into how he's working and operating because that relationship there and obviously like with the Anthony Gordon signing, who I'm now confident that that's going to work out. You know, personally, I don't... We had a bet on, didn't we? Uh, end of last season. We have a mental bet on, um, just for the listeners, which is that Anthony Gordon is going to score 10 Premier League goals for Newcastle between now and January. Just See, so for those you've listening, you've done a lad in, on me. You've added terms and conditions. I said before the last game of the season, 
as arguing with Ollie because I think I was complaining about a Man U player that was overpriced. You quoted Anthony Gordon, and I said he has a body type and a build and a movement similar to, he's not on par with, but Son, when he first came to the Premier League, and to a lesser extent, Cristiano Ronaldo. I went 10 goals. He then scored past Chelsea, so I sent Ollie a meme saying nine to go. And then he's went on and got the under-21s player of the tournament. Yeah. I didn't say Premier League goals. Um, so technically, that could be four more goals added, and he only needs no. five now. We, but we, I, de- I'll, I'll we keep definitely it. said Premier League goals because I made it a stipulation ah, referencing another that I had. And, uh, but the 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 deal for Anthony Gordon is I re- I don't know how to hand to take this because I know we are not their biggest investment. We're probably not. We're definitely not Saudi Arabia's biggest investment in football. If you see what their league's doing, yeah, like, I never like that. I don't like that. Their league is what I thought the Newcastle transfer windows would be before all the rules got turned back on. Do you know what I mean? Financial fair play, no one even had it. Man, you just got fined £500,000 for irregular bookkeeping. I guarantee Newcastle get ejected from the league if we have a regular bookkeeping in the next five years. <laughs> and it is the conspiracy theories, ladies and gentlemen. Can't have Saudi money in the Premier League. Who's Man U's biggest sponsor? Aramco. What I what I would say is we were all expecting that, but they're doing a much more organic growth, like a Brighton on steroids is what I'm seeing them kind of do. Uh, and but it's when they're they're talking to Yasser, they're asking them for the Anthony Gordon money on the phone, and they're saying he's saying at the right price, we're not going to fifty. So then they have to go to rehad to a business conference. It's like it's like kids showing up at the dad's work saying they need more money to go out. Do you know what I mean? They turn up on the jet, yeah. they go all the way over the world. I, I hope they were over there by chance. I hope they were not going over just to discuss that. No, five, I think, that five million quid. I think th- First off, I will say this. I imagine it's a hell of a lot of fun out there. Yeah, because they were walking into an F1 event, don't forget, Yeah, when she goes to speak to him. So I hope, like you said, like it's like turning up at Dad's work to, to ask for a fiver to go out with your mates. I hope it wasn't that. I hope they weren't flying out for this. Because five million it is change, cheap, particularly cheap change to them. But I like to but think that to they were out there. Fair play, they have to be strict. They, they, in yeah. this documentary, shows that, and anyone who watches that go right. If we want to sell this player at value, Newcastle aren't going to give the extra ten million. I... Do you know what I mean? Because Man City got hold over the calls in the early days, and they wasn't a financial fair player bound at that point. Well, they're still not financially fair play sound as we know, as this court will now rumble on for the next ten years um, until we hear some small sanction there. I'm sure. I have a bit of a different theory, and this is what I mean about them being astute on business. I think the FFP stuff, and even Eddie Howe sort of coming out and saying, you know, we've got to sell Alan St. Maximan to comply with FFP to continue to do business, and obviously they've taken 23 million quid there. I kind of think... For a 40 million pound play. Rick, I kind of think this is a clever business ploy from them. I, okay. I think, yes, they have to comply with FFP, as all do, but I think they've got enough about them to go ahead and ignore it or, or inflate their own sponsorship deals like City have done, seeing the fact that, well, maybe they'll wait and see what City get penalised. No, sorry. It's all done by the book, but then there's a book to go by and you have the best people around. Yeah. So our shirt sponsor was five million, where Manchester United have just signed, I want to say, an 85 million a year deal with theirs. 
So uh, it's nine hundred million over ten years. So whatever that is, nine hundred million over ten years. Okay, so around that. Yeah, similar. The difference is, and if you're only allowed to spend what you can make, the depressing thing about football now is companies like fucking Nivea sponsoring Liverpool dictate who wins the league, right? Obviously, Man City have done their shenanigans, as do I'm sure PSG. So what we have to do is if when we go to fair market value is the thing. So Everton, their owner, builds a fucking training ground for them, calls it the Mashuri Training Complex, and then sponsors it to be called the Mashuri Training Complex for £40 million. Then they have £40 million spread over five years, anthropomization or whatever the fucking phrase is, then gives them about £150 million to spend in financial fair play. Is kind of how it works, broken down through contracts. We're not allowed to do that. We have to go... Right, Tottenham Hotspur make sixty million a year. Fifty million a year is our limit that we can have. So we'll always just be just slightly underneath what they're allowed to spend. But now everyone else has to have that same rule, which yeah. didn't become a thing before the PIF owned Newcastle United. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, the rules have been tightened for ages. I think my point is not that they're not adhering to FFP, but it's everything that comes out of from Newcastle's ownership to even the coaches, which I think is interesting, reference their FFP obligations. And no one knows exactly, because you can't know, because remember, this is a... Assess to sell. Yeah, yeah. well, because it's a private company. And so whilst you go through trading house and you have to announce, that's only to the taxman. So no one knows exactly. It's speculative. So... Uh, even United, for example, as we know, we've got to sell a certain amount of players at the minute. Manchester United, you're not the only club called United. So with Manchester United at the minute, it's a case of we're under the impression that players have to be sold if any further purchases can be made this winter. But no one knows the exact figure. And I think, and it was particularly interesting with the St. Maximum deal, where we've seen those Saudi Arabian clubs play mental money for anyone left, right and centre... Fabino, Mares, yeah. over the hill, over Jordan the... Henderson, and and I don't know if you've seen, but uh, ASM's really hit the ground running. Uh, yeah, yeah, un- he'll, he'll tear up that league. I think he'll he, tear it I up. think he set up Firmino two straight away, uh, and he of course he's going to tear up that league along with uh, some others there. But I don't think the figure is accurate. I think they do it to constantly have it out there and publicly out there. So that when an Everton turn around and say, you'll give us 50 million, they say, no, literally we can't. We can't afford to go above 38 million pounds. And that's what I think is the very, very clever dynamic going on, which is they reference the Newcastle kind of tax at the minute or, you know, the Abramovich tax, whatever you want to call it, when they know that the wealth's there. And I think they're countering that tax by using FFP to sometimes their advantage by saying, look, we can't pay past this, so we, we can't pay... Because when I, I thought it was really, really, obviously this isn't covered in the documentary, we won't see it, but recently, as you know, Eddie Howe's come out and said, look, we have to sell Alan St. Maximum. But what we do get a little bit of insight into, and you actually referenced it earlier with, I don't think the players would even remotely be drinking two Corona beers in front of Eddie Howe, is whilst we see quite a nice person, actually, he's, he's clearly quite ruthless. And I think that's probably because his years in the business now have made him so. And I think he's made a decision on Alan St. Maximum. And I, I think it's come from it, him. Injuries and style of play. Yeah, and I think it's come from him and him alone. And when you look at the purchase of Gordon versus someone like St. Maximan, who's played 60-70% of the same position he will play, they are very different. You know, Alan St. Maximan is a willing runner. He won't do the running without the ball necessarily, though. 
Uh, and I think he's made a decision this summer, which is that he likes Alan St. Nights, man. He's been a good player and he has been a good servant for the club. And actually, the best way to send him off is, is this way and is now to get rid of him. Because actually, a little bit of his wages and a little bit of that money is needed for FFP. But I wouldn't be surprised if, oh, you know, the desperation and they need to sell him at 23 million quid. If Newcastle turn around and make a, like you said, they're doing the business late, 50, 60, 70 million pound signing in the later part of this window. Now, whether that's broken down into two signings, I think that will be a more telling indicator of actually they are using FFP very astutely as a marketing ploy now to say, look, whilst you know we have this money, we won't be paying over the odds for these players. So whatever we come to you with is going to be close to our final offer. And case in point, Anthony Gordon, because we knew what the deal was. Remember, the summer before, on deadline day, Chelsea are going to pay £60 million for Anthony Gordon. Everyone thinks this is crazy, bar Chelsea. And, well, lo and behold, Chelsea have continued to do business in this manner. So everyone thinks that's mental. So Newcastle reach a stumbling block where clearly the figure is fifty million as a flat fee. Everton want fifty million because they only see that kind of level of depreciation from what Chelsea offer, which they knew was above beyond. So they get to we're never told it, but it's clearly fifty million is the niggle point. Newcastle are clear, we I think it's Amanda who says it, we'll give you forty. Forty, but we'll do it all in cash, i.e. We won't do any silly business, eight years, eight, 80 million payments to be made, one million a month, however it's done now. However, Chelsea are paying, you know, 100 plus million for Enzo Fernandez over eight years. So they still say no. And then it's, it turns around because they want to go to 45 plus five. So they counteract Everton and say it's 45. We'll have that all up front. And then five in adults. And then, obviously, what we've just talked about, they go, they come back, and the best they can do is the same offer of 40 million plus the five adults, which is astute, isn't it? Because Abramovich never did that. City never did that. They, they paid the price. Whatever the price was, they paid it. I'm a bit annoyed that they can't do this, right? And I know they can't because everyone will jump all over it. If they come back, they say they won 50. Yeah. I'll, I'll come back. And say, right, 25, send. And then I would go on to my other email address of Al Hilal FC, and I'll go, I'll give you 25 million for Giffy Sigurdsson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the best way to do it. Yeah, you can have 25 for Sigurdsson, he needs out, and we'll just be giving you 25 for Anthony from Newcastle United. But that can still go on. There's nothing stopping them. And then, then it finally gets to some football. You go, sorry, buddy. Well, I'm I was, was going to say, we, we saw that in the summer, didn't we? With And I, I think it's unfair we say top volley because obviously it's a hedge fund behind it. And where's the hedge fund? <laughs> yeah. Well, where is Na- it? It's like 95% Saudi Arabian. Yeah, well, but we never hear that. We just hear American hedge fund because it's registered and trading there, isn't it? But all the money's come from Saudi Arabia. But that's the point, isn't it? Is that 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 was you know quickly a magnifying glass over hang about this team are playing what for Kulabali? They could offer 10, 20 million less and still get him. Yeah. And and so they were investigated and now we've seen a cooling from that period. But there was nothing to stop Newcastle, you know, from potentially doing that. Oh, I would love it if on deadline day Ryan Fraser, Isaac Hayden, Jamal Lascelles, maybe it's not Jam, hmm. and a bunch of other, the other ones are just all of a sudden in fifteen million pound deals to Al Hilal. Yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd fucking love that. I'd, that is what I want to see. Five those each. We. 
for 14 years, Newcastle United has been absolutely messed up by we didn't have someone that had the motivation to spend the money to help. Now the table is could not be more flipped. The pie chart is terrifying. I mean, obviously, Saudi Arabia is not going to spend all of their money on Newcastle United. They're not mental. But they have the ability. I mean, they they made a bid for Kylian Mbappe to a billion pound bid, basically. It was 200 million to PSG, 800 million to Kylian Mbappe. Yeah. And I'm still saying there's a chance he's going to go for the year, oh, I, a one-year contract. Yeah, I, as mad as it is, I think there's a chance that... And when you think about Messi, who's obviously gone over to... MLS, yeah, but he's yeah. thirty-five. Yeah, yeah, but but we are talking potentially, Rick. There about, I would argue the best player in the world is now going to go and spend a year in the Saudi Arabian League. I'm going to say this right now: two years time, two years maximum. Saudi Arabia is the second best league in the world. You reckon? You don't think it's going to? Yeah, yeah. The bubble won't burst. Mm-hmm. It's not the Chinese league. Yeah, that, that's what they're equating to. The Chinese went and bought like Oscar Rondon. They bought a couple of players over and flitted. They weren't getting Ruben Neves or like... Well, they, they, they potentially could have. But I, I think it, the two differences are is that Saudi Arabian, the Middle Eastern pool of money is endless. Also, China's wasn't. the Chinese league was a bunch of rich owners. What they've done in Saudi Arabia is the public investment fund have purchased four clubs because they're very strategic they learn the business plan they go the premier league is so popular because there's four teams competing let's buy four teams is that what it is pip i thought it was six so the pip yeah. own four clubs in the top league four of them yeah, yeah i thought it was six okay so but that's crazy isn't it and i know they would own more they would own more here here if they could they probably will they they they, they probably will i mean there was a weird thing during the takeover sheffield united because again what a prince of Saudi Arabia owns Sheffield United, Do we? and then the day the Newcastle bid went in, they had to reshuffle his. There's a whole bunch of weird things of Saudi Arabia and Sheffield United, so it was already accepted. There was nothing in the laws to block this takeover because they just never ex- anticipated this to happen, and the only factor it was the copyright thing, basically, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting what you say about the Saudi Arabian League. I think everyone's keen to see. I, I just think we we saw it with Italy and where they're allowed to own multiple teams and that model just doesn't work. So the PIF are going to end up with it, and whether that's two, four, five years down the line, is they're going to have to be putting more money or investment back in. And remember, there's no FFP there as such, um, or certainly not yeah, taking... No FFP, yeah. Which, again... I just hope, right? And if this is a long game, now remember, these are the people who paid a billion pounds to own a 300 million pound asset. Or 1.3 billion, mm-hmm. sorry, to own Newcastle because they have to pay that money off. Mm-hmm. If they then go, okay, we're now losing talent. We are losing eyeballs, right? If, say, Mbappe goes, say if they can get Phil Foden as a weird example, City cash in, 100 million, whatever. If they just start to take, 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 and then the Premier League goes, we can't compete viewership-wise with Saudi Arabia because it's the Super League. They've just made it themselves. They will have to relax FFP. And then when they relax FFP, who's first to the fucking dinner queue? And that's the Saudi Arabians to go like, all right, lads, over you come in a black and white shirt. Come on. Over you come. Come deals. Come on. I think that's kind of generally what you've just highlighted is more the concern of, you know, the, the mutual football fan is that, where is where is the ownership models priorities lying for Newcastle? I've always I, 
I don't love it when you've got these big owners and they own multiple sports teams in general. Yeah. Like I think the Glazers own some. Unless it's lower league. Yeah. I, I don't mind if they have lower league farm system teams, but if they take a big team in each division, I'm not a fan either. Yeah, and and then and then multiple te- and and it's like where and I think that'd be a concern for Newcastle fans when it long term. Because if they start looking, you know, over the fence, so to speak, and seeing that Al Hilal or whoever Al Ili uh, are spending a lot more than they are per window, then they're going to question, are they doing this to adhere to financial fair play or are they trying to support the investment in their own businesses in their own country, which you can completely understand. Same question. Yeah, yeah, it will Same be question a... marks over live golf. Same question marks over tennis. Well, the, uh, golf found out, didn't they? Golf found out what football's about to realise that you don't move these people out of the way. Hmm. It's, it's not possible. No. Live golf. I mean, the PGA were like, okay, you're never going to golf with us again. Guess, do you know who the chairman of Live Golf is? No. Yasser Al Ramayan, His Excellency. Oh. Our owner is now the owner of golf yeah. as a sport. <laughs> and you saw the the chief of PGA come out, didn't he? Recently. He didn't even know until the afternoon. Yeah. The, the thing I would liken it to, if you ever go back through the documentaries, is go and clear Scientology. Do you know when they sued the IRS and then they get all the pictures taken with them when they just decide to drop it and let them go tax-exempt? There's all the PGA guys come out and they're all just hugging Yasser Al Rayman going, glad we can come to a fucking agreement now. And he's head of golf now. <laughs> they were like suing them. They were through the courts. Yeah, I know, because I remember it was a very quick turnaround from that PGA CEO. And it was like, well, yeah, we can we can work together now. And I was thinking, oh, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's There's people who got a text that afternoon didn't even know the talks were happening, like high up, like yeah. senior executives within golf didn't know that was going to happen. Crazy. There was also a court case in which they uh, tried to call Yasser Al-Rahman to the stand, in which he then claimed diplomatic immunity and didn't have to go. So proved he works for the state. And then the Premier League had to go, oh, yeah, it wasn't about that. They just had to assure us. So uh, anyway, moving back. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, like, we can literally, the documentary, one thing they leave out on the Gordon deal is uh, he did refuse to train and force the move. That probably forced Everton's hand a little bit. Because if they don't get rid before the end of the window, they they lose a player. The fans are never going to accept them. The fans had already like smashed his car up and threatened him in the street. Yeah, who the Evertonians? When they were close to relegation, they did shit like that to him, and he was only nineteen at the time. Yeah. So you got like Evertonians blockading the street and jumping him. Because he did this in the summer, didn't he? Though with Chelsea, he was willing to move to Chelsea, but he didn't force it. Oh, I thought he'd gone in, done his transfer request. I, but I'm going off watching it at the time. So I, th- I, I thought Everton fan reaction wasn't fair or proportionate. I just thought it was because they thought, you know, you're not loyal. So what's going on? Because we've kept you out. We, we turned down clearly a £60 million bid. And now you're, you're off again straight away. Now, then we see the Southampton match. I did hear and, Anthony uh... Gordon say, yeah, they were always my first choice. And I wanted to go, yeah, now in January... I want to scout. And how many other people are in for you at this price figure? Because I think you think people are in, but until a club actually pays that money, they're waiting to see if you'll kick up enough dust and fuss. Because I'm like, because Chelsea were your number one priority not five months before you've said that. Yeah, Chelsea had a big drop off that season, don't forget. They were languishing at that point. I mean, they were horrific. They were horrific last season. It'd be interesting to see what happens. Yeah. They've signed eight, nine players. I think Poch is going to do them all right. I think they've got the best man in charge, but I think if his hands are tied, this signings, as we spoke about, once we digress about all things football, I think it's I think they're up to eight or nine signings this window, 
I think the average age of these signings has got to be 20 years of age. I'm never... A... Yeah, they're talented. In two years' time, they're going to be incredible. Yeah, but, but they've got to have experience. I don't think, like... You know, when Abramovich was in control, there was always how the youth players are going to come out. They're going to go on loan and come back in. And they were experienced bodies from John Terry's they're days. They're doing Lampard's. that because... They bought Strasbourg and they're just funneling players to them now. Yeah, they are. Well, Strasbourg look a good unit. And you know who's over there? Who's managing them? Who's that? Pa- Not Will Self, is it? Or Will- I think it's Patrick Vieira. Oh, is he? So, and and Strasbourg have brought in quite a few sort of talented players, including this Brazilian lad who's come on loan from things. So I'm excited to see how they ramp out this season because I think Patrick Vieira is a very good manager Hodgson kind of switched that on didn't he he did class when he came in but that's that's a <laughs> Crystal Palace is a bit too removed th- given how long yeah, they've really spoken I, they, about did, they didn't give him the time of day did they really they had a couple of bad results and, and like as is you know always in the Premier League you're gone unless you've got a bigger reputation you're gone they're not going to risk it and yeah and Hodgson's come in and well it's just I don't think it's the style of play that I think Crystal Palace fans were open for. But the point is, they're still in this league. And then, so we see a nice FaceTime with Amanda and Gordon. That's that's lovely, do you know what I mean? Like, she's again, like you say, a very warm person, very, like, makes it feel like a family um, to it. Yeah. And then we have the Southampton game. So we've built up Sean Longstaff as the local lad. Yeah. Now, this is, like, a core memory of mine. So uh, without going too deep, we've had a nightmare couple of years few pregnancies that didn't work out and this was the last time we're trying and we're at the i want to say the 24 week scan the day of the southampton game yeah we go for the scan and everything's fine and that is such my parents were looking after our reactive dog they come back we come in i am on the phone to morrison who's done a few of these we're having a crack on about the match that night or whatever we're talking about I take Ari in the garden, and it's October. When would that have been? It was dark. Okay, and with the, I, I, it was winter because it was early, early dark nights. And uh, I'm about to go upstairs and say, "Okay, Joe, watch after the dog." But then, in my own head, I remember very vividly having an argument that she would sigh and be like, "Can you not just do that before you go to the back?" So I was like, "Fine, I'll watch the dog." I look outside. My parents have left me fucking back gate open. And for the first time ever, Ari has escaped and is on the loose in Chesley Street. So I just hung up the phone without saying anything to Morrison and started jogging barefoot. And I run into the street into the pitch black. And this dog has not been out of the garden. You know, you, you know my fucking issues with Ari. Like yeah. We've had dog traders all sorts. He's kept away. Very few people get into our house without having a 45-minute introduction to our dog. So we just don't invite people around. So... The idea that he's now escaped and there's kids that ride around on motorbikes like Mad Max outside my window is a big fucking issue. So I run out into the street and KJ doesn't know the dog's gone yet. And if you imagine where my back window is, where KJ is now sat, breathing a sigh of relief, she's going to have a baby, everything looks like it's going to be okay. And she hears me outside shout, Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> she... She backflips out, runs out the front and goes the other way down the hill to look for him. Ari comes to us, thankfully, where he was. Since my mum so overfeeds him, as the crow flies, he tried to walk to my mother's house. Oh, right, uh, yeah. But there's, but there's a fence there. So he came to me and I'm like, oh, thank fuck. And I start slowly walking towards him. He goes, oh, what's he doing here? And he starts doing this little Marvin the Martian walk where he doesn't 
give away that he's running, but he's picking up speed. Okay. So he st- he starts to run away from us. So now I'm running through people's gardens barefoot to jump on this dog, and I have not done exercise in a good three years. So I, I grab a hold of him, I, I bring him back to the house, and I just lie down on the kitchen floor, <laughs> just getting me fucking breath back, waiting for me folks to come back round for the Southampton match so I can give them a fucking bollocking. I wasn't even happy when Sean Longstaff scored, because I'm like, if something had fucking happened and ruined this day, I would have went... Ballistic, but then we had, yeah, great memories. Longstaff scored. I believe Bruno got sent off, which fucked us up a bit. And yeah, great story. Yeah, and then we've got the final to come there, sadly. I mean, the Longstaff story, not just me complimenting my own anecdote. <laughs> <laughs> um, but this is what I mean. It's it, they always like focus, don't they, in these documentaries on like these kind of narratives, but you can't romanticize it too much because they've they. they you know, built that up as well, but they make it to Wembley as they finish the episode, don't they? That's going to be the next episode, yeah. So we've got to Wembley first time since 1998, and then the next match we see Pope gets sent off, which I watched that. That was a tough oh, match. Yeah, Maxi was she, great in that one. That was it, because she had to have carries in goal, didn't you? And there was so much And it doesn't, it doesn't show you enough of the, the sending off moment, because Pope... Dives on the ball, he misjudges the bounce, he smashes his face off the ball and the floor at the same time. So he's like bleeding, he's cut from it. He instinctively reaches out, touches the ball, the ref blows the whistle, goes immediately for a red card. Pope goes to clear the ball, and if you watch this back, he puts his foot through Kieran Trippier. So in one moment, we almost lose our captain and our world-class goalkeeper just gone for that final. So it ends on the sour note, but I am very excited for the rest of this documentary. Four parts, we're going to watch it every week. I can't wait. Yeah, we'll, we'll have a little watch in. I, I think, because like you say, it's interesting that you knew that. I, I think they're going to have, because clearly it's these 70 days, isn't it? It's these end of season mm. that they're now yeah. going to drag it out of and we'll hopefully see a bit more from the the player side of things as well, like we'll get to see. I've gigged with one of the comics that was in it, Raúl. That you saw at the stand. He's um he's a local comic. He's class. Who is one of the fans? Yeah, he's one of the fans at the interview. I look forward to more fan interaction. I imagine they had a lot, a lot to work with, and the people who didn't swear <laughs> made the cut. I yeah, for me, I just I just want to see more of that kind of behind the scenes footage. Yeah, same. Like like I want to see more and more of it, and you know I think it's going to be. It, it might be difficult with these last three episodes if they they started to film it late and then there's the amount of access they get. Yeah, and uh, I'll finish on this because I just re-watched it. This is the second time I watched it. I watched it last night and this morning to, to check it again. But Cage got emotional during the, uh, the documentary and says how we're getting a season ticket, a family one for me her and Izzy for when she we're going to aim for when by the time she hits three years old, four years old. And uh, she goes, "What was the, what was the joke?" She goes, "If you if you do the Dan Ashworth part, I'll do the Piff part." <laughs> <laughs> so I've got to figure out how to get a family season ticket. I just thought that was an excellent. Line. Oh yeah, God, that'd be absolutely impossible to come by now, won't they? Well, the stadium's going to be expanded, so we have to be on a list to be in a ballot to yeah. to hopefully get it. But we basically are going to have a family one that's going to be the thing we do. And then the tickets can rotate until until Isabel's 
of age. So when we play Man U, you can come up if that comes to fruition. Sounds good. See if the Premier League tries to block that. Mm. Well, exactly. And you can look forward to hearing more of this um, absolute impartial favouritism towards Newcastle United and how they've been downed by the Premier League and every other club um, next week. Okay, and uh, I can't wait to talk on the next episode about the fantastic return of Mason Greenwood to the first team. (laughs) Go on, you mighty red devils. You represent us. (laughs) You are England. You are England. Stop these evil Saudis! Give the ball to Greenwood. All right, you're gonna—it's gonna get testy over the FA, the, the League Cup final. Because I'm getting annoyed already. So I'm <laughs> looking forward to episode two very much. Thank you very much for listening, Ollie. Uh, thanks for coming on, and I'll probably talk to you a lot. But uh, look forward to doing more and possibly episode two of uh, Stolen Youth at some point. Yeah, definitely. See you. Bye. All right, take it easy.